people are complex. From any time in the day, my motivation changes, right? So who are we to pretend that we can coin operate people? The final thing I would say is that when you design and implement commission plans, you clearly want them to be motivational, but don't be so presumptuous that you can somehow be some sort of puppet master. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. Since sales reps are coin-operated, you can expect higher performance if you pay them more, right? Unfortunately, it's not that easy. Our guest in this week's episode is an expert in sales compensation, having owned the sales performance lever for one of the biggest telcos in Australia. Before he moved on to found, Gale, and sell a sales compensation SaaS platform. He'll share what motivates sales reps, the mindset required to design effective compensation plans, and which stakeholders to consider. Please welcome the CEO of SalesGrid, David Marshall. David, welcome to the State of Sales Name, and great to have you. Thank you, Felix. It's a pleasure to be in this state. Thank you. David, just give us a bit of a background, what you've been done so far in your career and what you're doing now, because today we want to talk about sales compensation and I'm really keen to also have my listeners understand where you're coming from and what informs your views. So what, what's been your career journey so far? Yeah, I guess without giving away my age too much, but um, yeah, I've been working in business to business sales for well, 30 years now. I started off as an accountant, but I, I soon found a role in, um, in the B2B environment, firstly in sales operations. Uh, then I actually had some roles as a sales rep selling various things. One of them was actually video conferencing back in the 90s, so well before Zoom. And then I actually landed a job at Optus, which you'd know is a big telecommunications company here in Australia. And I was fortunate enough to land this job as their sales you know, incentives manager, where I was responsible for commission plan design across their B2B channels, as well as actually, interestingly, um, the non-cash stuff, like, you know, recognition reward, the end of year achievers club, you know, that sort of stuff, which I, you know, I just loved. I really enjoyed that area. really enjoyed working with salespeople, working on the sales commission plan, design and communication. And yeah, I liked it so much. I then actually set my own little consultancy around that for a number of years, advising companies on how to design commission plans and, and the recognition reward stuff. But I also, during the 2000s, I got involved a lot in implementation and actually building little databases for companies to actually implement their commissions, so commission plans. And I guess, yeah, part of my point of view is very much around, it's one thing to design a plan, but yeah, execution is, absolutely, is obviously crucial, particularly for enablement people out there. It's all, yeah, ultimately you've got to communicate and execute the plan really well. So I really gravitate towards that, I guess, more of the implementation side of things and then set up a company called Performio back in 2009, which is now one of the leading uh, sales commission software vendors globally. My relationship with Performio finished uh, about a year ago. But yeah, that was a really big journey over a course of about 12 years. We would have seen literally hundreds of commission plans across different industries that we had to you know, ultimately implement. So... It's a bit of a rundown of where I'm coming from, both design and implementation, the software to support it. Awesome. 
Yeah, you're you're really, it's safe to say you're really an expert in that space and you really have that full holistic view of what it takes to design a high performance compensation plan. But what really strikes me from your experience is what you said earlier about your experience specifically at Optus, where you mentioned that you were looking after both the monetary side of things. So essentially the, the commission structure and how those incentives are structured, but also the non-monetary things. So the, the high achievers club and any sort of recognition that goes beyond just the monetary side of things. Yeah. So I want to ask you, because that's really a evergreen question that always comes up. Are salespeople really motivated by money? Are they coin operated as people say? Yeah. So mine's, my gut reaction to that question is to say no. But I'll, let me come back to that answer. I don't want to hedge, but look, I think I, I really dislike the term coin operated. I think, I, I don't know if that was ever the case. You know, clearly people are complex, right? Daniel Pink is sort of famous for, you know, talking a lot about the importance of intrinsic motivators. So salespeople, I think, are very strongly motivated by the, the attractive nature of the role of sales. You know, you can be autonomous in your role. You can develop a mastery of the role. So those intrinsic motivators are super important, but even the extrinsic motivators, yeah, there's the cash and there's also formal recognition programs, but even informal recognition, you know, in sales management meetings, in one-on-ones. So to answer your question, I think, is it the primary motivator for salespeople, cash? Um, look, it's clearly super important, but I think one of the really important things to think about is, you know, they talk about hygiene factors. You know, in my experience, I would say sales comp, it's more important as a hygiene factor, you know, having designed plans and implemented it. And let's be honest, it's not always been smooth sailing, right? I've made my mistakes. There is nothing more visceral than when you stuff things up right in this space. Yeah, obviously, yeah, just to explain hygiene factor, meaning that it's just, it's an expectation that it's going to be done properly. And if you get it wrong, it demotivates people. So I think that's for enablers and for people involved in designing plans, you've got to be absolutely aware of how important it is to get this thing right. It can be a real demotive if you get it wrong. Clearly, cash is a key motivator. You know, salespeople go into these roles because they want to drive up their earnings. That's often the motivator. People are complex. From any time in the day, my motivation changes, right? So who are we to pretend that we can coin operate people? The final thing I would say is that when you design and implement commission plans, you clearly want them to be motivational, but don't be so presumptuous that you can somehow be some sort of puppet master. And I think this is an important point because when you think about how you design a plan, I would say to the audience today is that the mindset you want to take in is think of yourself as more as an economist than a psychologist, right? We're not amateur psychologists trying to, you know, little levers and pulleys and driving this behavior and that behavior. We're more economists in the, and by that I mean the mindset you should take to compensation plans is that this is all about pay for performance. We call them incentive plans and commission plans, but really, if we could start again, I'd just let's just call them pay for performance plans. You want to be really clear about what is the performance that we need for this sales channel, for this team, for, from this individual? What does that performance look like? And then how are we going to pay for that performance in a way that is both attractive and fair and profitable for both the company and for the individual. That's what we're trying to do. If you can do that, everyone's going to win. And whether it's the primary motivator, it doesn't actually matter. You've actually achieved your goal. So I think 
That was a very long answer to your question, Felix, but I think it evokes a lot of passion. There's a really big point, but I think it's an important one to set the foundation for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting what you say about people being complex and motivations changing multiple times a day even. So the minimum that a company can do is just to be clear what they want to achieve economically and align their incentives accordingly. Beyond that, do you think there's any common ways to incentivize people or to reward people in non-monetary ways that managers should be considering? Yeah, so from a reward point of view, my experience, we did, particularly at Optus, but I've seen other companies do this. Yeah, you have your classic annual presence club or achievers club, yeah, which involves some sort of incentive trip to an exotic destination or even just more of a conference type thing. In my experience, that can be incredibly powerful. That really garners the, the focus around the importance of hitting quota. And in fact, the insane destination is nice, but what's more important is the actual event itself that you're actually bringing people together in an event, all the people that have achieved quota, and just really the company reinforcing the importance of setting that standard of performance. I think that can be incredibly powerful. There is the hygiene factor if you get it wrong. <laughs> can also really blow things up. You know, there's risk in these things, but there's great payoff if you get them right. I've seen companies do um, best of the best type rewards, you know, rewarding the top 10% or the top performers. That's a really interesting one because I think it can be really effective in driving those really top performers to go even further and deliver even more benefit and profit to the company. But they're really tricky. You know, had actually selection and my recommendation would be just go with the Achievers Club. That's the, the biggest payoff one. And then we've, yeah, you, know, you can do, if you're talking about reward, Felix, you know, there's seen companies do things like reward points programs and whatnot. Again, that can be a good top up to the cash piece. They're more expensive to run, but that can be effective. But look, I think the other thing for the audience is, is the importance of recognition itself, both formal and informal. So non-cash, no monetary value, but just formally recognizing people for achieving the performance that you want from them. That you want from the team and doing that in a formal way, but also informally through sales meetings, one-on-ones and, and whatnots. I just brought up something there that's also important is this thing about team and individual. From what I'm saying is, you know, sales is becoming more of, more of a team game. And so therefore the recognition should align to that as well. Is it the responsibility of the person looking after compensation and those sort of reward structures to also involve the sales managers on how to deliver that sort of informal recognition? Or should that be done through the typical sales manager training instead? Yeah, I'd say the latter. I'd say we tend not to get, I'm going a bit back into my past now in terms of how, how I operate it, but it was very much a focus on the delivery of the formal programs, both cash and non-cash. It was more up to the sales managers and their style as to how they delivered that informal stuff. And what's the correlation between the incentives for sales managers and the incentives for individual sales reps? Like, is there a way to actually connect incentive structures to, for example, reward the sales manager for the performance levels of the whole team or to look at what the highest performer is or the worst performer within the team and reward them accordingly? Is there a correlation there that we should consider? In my experience, and I would say, I've talked about all those hundreds of plans that I've seen, uh, the vast majority would typically do roll-ups or overlays. So it's, yeah, it's the, the aggregation of your team performance that will then drive the incentive. In my experience, the best sales manager plans look quite similar to the 
how their own team members are getting paid, right? Because you want that alignment and you, know, you don't want to be rewarding things that are going to take managers away from focusing on recruitment, development, motivation of their team. So I wouldn't be advocating for different plans and, and even things around trying to reward, you know, bringing up the bottom 20%, that sort of stuff. I think that just gets really tricky. I think it's overcomplicating it. Got it, got it. Yep. You mentioned sales compensation being somewhat a hygiene factor, meaning you, if you get it right, it's just ticking the box. But if you get it wrong, it can really have negative consequences. What are some of the ways businesses get their compensation structure wrong? So what are some of the pitfalls that our listeners should avoid? Yeah, where do I start? <laughs> the most common one is that people get too creative and they end up creating far too much complexity in the plans. And I stand accused on this and it's taken a long time for me actually to, as a sales comp designer, you want to be aiming for elegance and simplicity as much in everything you do. You're trying to take all this complexity around different stakeholders and adding different things from the sales force and just boiling it down into its essential elements of what is the performance and the pay. So big mistake that companies make is, um, yeah, too many measures, too many weighted measures. So there's too much, yeah, you see three, four components in the plan. I've seen more than that. That's one thing. But then another thing you see is too much complexity in the formula, trying to get too clever with formulas and how you connect pay to performance. Another big one, this goes back to the first question about motivating people with cash. And I've made this mistake, but I've seen it made big time in other companies where you think, oh, we've got to get more higher performance above target. So we're going to really crank up the accelerators. And so I, I can think of one company, I won't name, where they put in literally a 30 to 1 accelerator above target. This is going back a while now. But because, yeah, the economy was kind of flat and they thought, God, we just got to motivate that performance above target with a bigger accelerator. They didn't model it properly. And of course, the mining sector was having a boom time. And so the people in the mining sector made an absolute killing. They didn't model the plants. So another mistake that companies make is they don't properly model how the plan will play out. You don't have to get too fancy, you know, people think modeling involves a blizzard of spreadsheets and you know, even just sitting down and doing 10 scenarios, you know, different what-if scenarios at different levels of performance, just to go, hang on, and actually taking last year's results saying, what would that mean for this year's payout? So yeah, so a few mistakes, yeah, too many measures, too much complexity in the formulas, not modeling, getting too aggressive with pay curves in, in the wanton hope that it's going to somehow change behavior. I could give you a few more, Felix, if you've got time. But, um, <laughs> sure. Another big one is we need to talk about foundation principles, but actually who's eligible? You know, I often see too many people being eligible for the commission plan. Commissions, you know, this is, it's far cheaper just to pay people on the company salary type remuneration. Maybe there's an annual bonus. A hell of a lot easier to do that. The reason why you want to pay sales people commissions is because there's an upside for the business to do it. But it doesn't make sense, I think, to be paying people commissions when they're, when they're more of a support role or they're managing a territory where their prominence over the sales result is fairly low. So eligibility is another issue and a mistake, I see. Another key one is you really need to think of within your population of people, what are the different roles and, and which roles need different plans. And so another mistake you see is just far too many plans. Here's John over here. He's been with the company five years. He's got his own special plan. You get this proliferation of variation because you have these special um, rules being made for different people over time. <laughs> In summary, Felix, you know, this is a complex area. So you've got to have a really clear purpose about how you go about it. 
and not treat this as some tactical thing that you just keep chopping and changing every now and again. You've got to have a long-term plan at the same time being agile enough to adjust to changing business circumstances. A couple of things that you mentioned there, which I just want to follow up on. So the initial thing that you said was that it is really important not to overcomplicate things and to get too fancy with the different formulas. Does that then mean that simplicity is more important than fairness and nuance? Because arguably, if you introduce a lot of variables and a lot of formulas, you might be able to compensate people in a fairer matter, right? Does that mean that keeping it simple is always better? You don't want to be simplistic because if you're overly simplistic, you're not going to be connecting pay to performance as tightly as you would like. But I would say to the audience, yeah, I'd say if in doubt, aim for simplicity, sacrifice some of that nuance because nuance, this is the thing, right? It's fairly easy to design, to tailor things to different groups and individuals. It's a hell of a lot, having been on the implementation side for many years, it's a hell of a lot harder to implement for that, right? It's a lot harder to communicate for that. It's a lot harder to govern for that. You know, you have all these governance issues. So people underestimate the cost of that level of tailoring. You just need, yeah, I like the word elegance because it implies that you are trying to have plans that are fit for purpose for each role, but you've just got to be very careful with how, how much detail you're mixing into it. So one term that you mentioned earlier was accelerators which is one of the variables you can work with in designing a plan. So for those listeners not familiar with the term accelerator, what does that mean? And what are some of the other variables at your disposal when you work on designing a compensation plan? Yeah, so accelerators, yes. Yeah, so I've been talking a bit today about pay for performance. So whatever way you cut a com like an incentive plan, ultimately you have, you know, let's say you have a, a target level of performance, you got above and below target. You're aligning a pay curve. You think of a, a gradient, a pay curve showing from bottom left hand to, to the top right. You know, the more performance, the more pay, right? And so accelerators just mean that you're kicking up the gradient. The pay curve is getting steeper and steeper. So for example, Felix, you do 110% of your target or quota. We're going to pay you 120% of your base salary or of your on-target earnings or on-target commission. So that's a two-for-one accelerator above target. A five one accelerator would be Felix, you do one ten percent, we're gonna pay you one fifty percent. And you can have tiers. So once you get to one twenty, we're gonna kick it up again or kick it down. You also have de-accelerators, that's another important concept. You know, you'll see plans where below hundred percent we'll will actually flatten the de-accelerate. At eighty percent, we're only gonna pay you fifty percent. So yeah, again, it's all about aligning pay for performance. And we haven't also talked about the idea that you don't just do this in a vacuum, you've also got to do it in the context of the market. You know, you're competing for talent from different, you need to know what other companies are doing. You don't have to mirror that, but you need to be conscious of market remuneration and whatnot. Anyway, so, yeah, sorry. So yeah, there's accelerators. I would say to the audience though, the accelerators and that, those sorts of things, they're the last thing you should be doing. When you consider the factors, so I think your question was, what factors should you consider when you design a plan? I'd encourage the audience to think firstly of what are the foundation principles to the plan before we even design anything. Let's be very clear on eligibility, who's going to be eligible for this plan. Let's be very clear on the objectives for this plan. You know, why, why do we want to compensate people? What's the environment in terms of retaining and attracting people? What sort of performance do we want? So getting really clear on the performance that we want from people and design principles around, you know, are we kind of more of a team-focused company or is this more of an individual hunter environment? 
that's going to influence how you think about plan design, whether it should be more team or individual focus. So you've got to get really clear on, and you've got to get all the stakeholders on board about these sort of foundational principles. And you've got to do all of that before you even think about designing the plan. Once you've got those foundation principles in place, then you go to the next thing and go, okay, if we know what performance we want, how are we going to measure that performance? And one of the big mistakes I've seen companies make is they put in measures they can't even measure. (laughs) Their IT systems can't even accurately produce numbers, particularly at the individual level. So that's a problem. So you've got to come up with measures that can be accurately and timely reported on. Once you've got your measures, then you can go, okay, now we can think about how we're going to formulate, what formulas can we use to tie pay to performance. And then the final factor I'd ask the audience to think about, and by the way, those formulas include things like accelerators. And then there's many different ways you can, you can we can talk about that if you want, about the different types of formula models. But one other factor that often gets forgotten in comp plan design, which kind of sits apart, but it's absolutely integral. And that is, of course, quota setting, you know, target setting. Yeah, it's all very well to design a plan, but if the target setting's off, that the way that targets are set and how aggressively they're set and what the stretch amount is and all that sort of stuff obviously hugely impacts what's ultimately going to be paid out. So people managing targets and setting targets need to work closely with the plan design process as well. So now you, you've designed a plan and you mentioned that it's also a challenge to actually roll out those plans and actually implement those. What's typically involved in that process once you've actually done all that foundational work and you finally arrived at a sales target and a formula that then assesses the performance? What happens then? Once you've designed the plan, how do you roll it out? So obviously there's going to be a sign-off process for the stakeholders, but then, yeah, you've then actually got to do two things. You've now actually got to communicate the plan out to the sales force. So, you know, we're seeing companies more and more now use tools like DocuSign, for example, to have a formal sign-off process. So you've actually got to have salespeople sign off on the plan. They need to also sign off on the quota or the targets that are baked into the plan. And then, yeah, once the plan's signed off and that, you know, that will typically happen Unfortunately, we see that happen, it tends to happen, you know, month one, two, I've often seen this stuff happen month three, four, five into the year, which is too late. You know, ideally this should be happening. I think it's realistic to get it done before the start of the year, but certainly in the first month of the financial year, that should be happening. So that all gets signed off and then it's actually needs to be implemented in terms of whether you're using Excel spreadsheets or you're using a, a software vendor like Performia or whatnot, you've actually got to implement this thing. Got it. And you mentioned stakeholders a couple of times. So for sales enablers familiar with the complexity of the sales stakeholder environment, but if they specifically want to focus in on the compensation plans, like who are typically the stakeholders involved in the planning phase, the design phase and the rollout phase? Yeah. So typically we see obviously the VP of sales, CRO, the head of sales, obviously crucial stakeholder. Often they'll, depending on the size of the organization, they'll appoint maybe one or two proxies or, you know, from the sales leadership team and maybe a representative from, as a first-line sales manager. So we get some representation in the design process. Sales operations typically involved because, you know, they're closest to, you know, some of the data issues and reporting. They may even have carriage of administration, though that might sit with finance. Yeah, I think finance need to be involved as well. They're, they're going to potentially they'll hold the budgets for commissions. They need to understand what the variability is going to be and how that aligns to revenue variability on their budget. 
And then also, you know, depending on the organisation, your HR, I've seen some companies where HR are heavily involved, if not even leading the comp plan design process. It's probably in the minority of cases, but certainly HR need to be involved in the sense of, um, again, that whole market remuneration thing. You're not doing this in a vacuum. You need to understand where you're going to sit in the market with your total REM. Yes, I'd say they're the key. And again, maybe IT from a, a sense check, uh, yeah, can we actually implement this plan? But again, that might sit under sales ops. There's a lot of stakeholders. That, and here's the thing, right? Everyone's got a different opinion, right? And so there is an art to how you're actually going to get all these people together. And that's why those foundation principles are so important. You've got to get all those people agreeing to those principles before you even think about how you're going to calculate the incentives and so, you know, design the formulas. Have you ever seen salespeople actually being engaged in the design of compensation plans to sense check how they feel about it? Yeah, yeah. I guess in the sorts of plan reviews I've seen, typically it's at the management level. But certainly, yeah, you'll absolutely, you'll poll, talk to salespeople, either informally, whether you bring them into the formal design process is another thing. But certainly uh, getting voice of the customer, if you like, from what their experience of last year's plan was and, and whatnot. David, thank you so much. I've uh, learned a lot about sales compensation plans today. So thank you so much for sharing your wealth of experience in that space. If people want to connect with you online and continue the conversation, where can they find you? You can um, DM me on LinkedIn. More than happy to answer uh, questions about sales comp. Or you can email me at david at salesgrid.us. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Felix.